For those of you who may not know me, my name is Anne Herbert and I am part of the teaching team here at Citywide. So we've been looking at chapters 23 and 24 over recent weeks, as Dan mentioned earlier. And last week, Matt reflected on Jesus' words at the end of Matthew 24. And there Jesus taught that he is coming back, but he doesn't know when that will be. And he wanted his fellow, his followers to be prepared for a long wait. He wanted them to always be ready for his return. And that means living for God and serving the needs of others. So Jesus' parable today of the virgins or maidens, depending on your translation, picks up and reinforces these themes. Once again, Jesus uses a common event in people's lives, their everyday lives, as the content for the story. Once again, he invites his listeners to think below the surface detail and reflect on the deeper spiritual truths it contains about God, his kingdom, and our relationship with him. It is an opportunity to honestly examine ourselves, to do the hard work of actively listening, carefully looking, seeking to truly understand, and then submitting to Jesus so he can heal and enable us. We are 21st century people, aren't we? Living in a Western culture that is quite different from the one in which this parable takes place. In first century Palestine, the parents arranged the marriage. Romance didn't often, or it could come into it, but it wasn't the main um, reason for people getting married. At the time of the engagement, the two families made a contract in the presence of two witnesses. This included negotiation of the bride price and the contract was as binding as the marriage itself. The wedding ceremony was a simple civil affair that took place in the bride's home, followed by a week of, fa- of feasting and sometimes even longer that happened at the groom's home or his family's home. And um, it's a bit different, isn't it? These days, while couples, uh, more and more of them, are choosing a civil ceremony, we still have the tradition of a religious ceremony at church. And that um, gets followed by often formal photos and then those who've been especially invited to the wedding go to a reception. And they're the ones who wave goodbye to the couple at the end of it. And it all happens on the one day, not over a week or more. And it's not, yeah, so, um, and any, oh, let me just see, I've, I need my glasses for some of this. <laughs> so, um, and of course anyone can come to the church service, usually, but um, and, and then at the end of it, we have things like um, people will throw confetti or rice, maybe not so much these days. When my um, daughter got married, she um, got petals and dried them and we all threw them over the couple. And my, other, my son and his wife, they used um, bubbles. So you blew bubbles over them as they were coming down the aisle. 
and that was an outdoor wedding. So we have different ways of um, doing that celebration and giving people good wishes. But Jesus is talking about, in this case, a Jewish village wedding. The wedding took place after the bridegroom had finished building a new home for him and his bride. Then, after sundown, he went with his friends to the bride's house to fetch her. She would be waiting in her wedding finery, her dress and a bit of makeup and jewellery, usually given to her by the groom. And then, um, after the ceremony and blessing, the groom and his bride formed the start of a torch-lit procession back to the new home. And or the groom's home for the, the banquet. And they, they took the longest possible route back so that as many people as possible could wish them all the best, give them their um, good wishes. In one Bible commentary, um, I came across the Jewish saying, everyone from 6 to 60 will follow the marriage drum. There was just that expectation um, that everyone could be part of that celebration. And people would wait on the roadside in their best clothes so that as the couple passed, they could join in the occasion. It is most likely that the ten maidens were either friends, neighbours or servants of the bride and groom or, or, or one of them anyway. And it was the custom that anyone who joined that torch-lit procession was then welcome at the feast. They were not bridesmaids in the way we think of bridesmaids. They didn't formally belong to the wedding group. They didn't have a formal invitation to the wedding. Their only qualifier for admittance to the wedding banquet was that they had added their lamplight to those of others in the procession. Some commentaries say that the lamps were like torches with oil-soaked rags wrapped around sticks and they had to be regularly dipped in oil to keep them burning. Some Bibles note that the lamps were like little teapots filled with olive oil and they had a wick leading into the oil to keep that light burning. To me, it doesn't matter whether it was torches or a little teapot. What really matters is whether or not the maidens had enough oil to keep their lamps burning while they waited. There are many references in the Bible to oil. Now, this story doesn't specifically interpret the meaning of the oil, and and, um, for some people it's really... um, a peripheral detail, it's not all that relevant, but there are Bible scholars who see it as representing the Holy Spirit at work in people's lives, and for me personally, I actually really relate to that. Um, and the Old Testament also speaks about the oil of joy that comes with the Spirit of God. How appropriate, I think, for God's joy to be present as we experience the reality of Jesus' presence and anticipate his coming. Like the servant waiting for his master's return in last Sunday's parable, the ten maidens had to wait a long time for the groom to arrive. Given the wedding customs of that period, having an uncertain length of time to wait was normal. 
yet only five of them were ready for that eventuality. When the ten maidens first arrived at the side of the road, to all intents and purposes, they all looked ready. They all would have been beautifully dressed in their best clothes and equally committed to being full participants in this wonderful occasion. But appearances can be deceiving. And as we've already learned through recent weeks that from some of Jesus' previous stories, we can't necessarily pick who's wise and who's foolish, whose heart is right and whose is not. But there will always be a crunch point, a reckoning, which is something that Matt referred to last week. And at that point in time, it will become obvious who we truly are, what's really going on with us, and consequences will flow accordingly. So if you like the foolish maidens aren't ready for Jesus, then those consequences will be really serious. In the case of the maidens, they missed out on the feast. They um, found the door shut to them. Um, And for us, uh, we will find ourselves missing out on the things Jesus wants for us. So let's come back to the waiting These maidens waited so long that all of them fell asleep. And I've noticed that the New Testament church referred to people who'd um, died with faith in Jesus and obviously had died before Jesus came back as being asleep. Using the term asleep created a picture of them being at rest until the moment of awakening when Jesus came back. I actually love that image of being at rest in that, that time. For, and, G, and Paul, when he wrote to the Thessalonian church, said that he didn't want the people there to be ignorant about those who'd fallen asleep. According to the Lord's own word, he told the Thessalonians, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left Till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Maybe Jesus had that in mind when he talked about the maidens falling asleep while they waited. What that tells me is that whether I also die, fall asleep or not, the things I do here and now to keep my light burning will determine whether I am ready or not for Jesus' return. I'll say that again, and this time I'll include you in that. Whether we also die, fall asleep, the things we do here and now will determine whether we are ready or not. For Jesus' return. Once word reached the maidens that the groom was getting close, all the young women woke up, didn't they? They got into action to be ready with their relit lamps, but sadly only half had enough oil to do that. 
Well, the others didn't want to miss out, not after all that waiting and dressing up in their beautiful clothes. Um, so they, in desperation, they pleaded to use some of the others' reserves of oil. But through the wise maiden's responses, Jesus teaches that being prepared for his return doesn't work that way. The story is clear. Certain things cannot be obtained at the last minute. And that's a sobering message. For example, if it's far too late on the day of an exam for a student to start preparing for it, even if they think they might be able to get away with it. If they haven't attended the classes and done their revision, they've left their preparation too late and they will fail. In the same way, if a person needs certain skills and experience for a particular task they want to do, they won't be able to do it when that job becomes available if they haven't already done the work to get those skills. They will miss out. It is the same when we follow Jesus. Every person is responsible for his or her own spiritual condition. If you haven't actively followed God with all your heart and passion, mind and intelligence, soul and prayer, strength and energy, then like the foolish maidens, you will be unprepared for Jesus' return just because your partner or a family member or a friend or a parent is full of the light and life of Jesus doesn't mean that you can get in the door based on what they have done. Your love for God and people whom he puts in your life can be superficial or it may not even be there at all or it can reflect Roots that have grown deep into the heart of God. Only the deep abiding love of God that the Holy Spirit continually renews in you as you respond to the world around you can keep you ready. Just like the foolish maidens couldn't borrow oil from their friends or buy it in time for when the groom came by with his bride, we cannot buy our relationship, we cannot borrow it, our relationship with God. It's not about convenience. It's not about having an insurance policy that will get us over the line. It's about our lifestyle reflecting the love of God and love for others in the same way that Jesus taught and modelled love. The kind of love that was so sacrificial, he suffered and died for us. The choices we make every day determine whether we are ready at any time of the day or night as Matt talked about in the children's talk, you are like light for the whole world, Jesus said in his sermon. Make your light shine so that others will see the good that you do and will praise your Father in heaven. 
The distinction between being foolish and being wise is one that we really need to understand. And I want to explore that distinction now by looking at an Old Testament story about two men, Saul and David. You'll find it in 1 Samuel. The story took place at a time when the Jewish people said they wanted to have a king to lead them. So God told the prophet Samuel to fill a flask with oil to anoint the person that God had chosen for the role. That person happened to be Saul. Samuel did as God said. He found Saul, took the flask, poured the oil over Saul's head and told him that three things were going to happen to confirm God's calling on his life. Sure enough, these three things happened. The last of these was Saul meeting a group of people full of God's joy and prophesying, which means they were speaking God's word, his message. And during that encounter, the spirit of the Lord came on Saul in power. You'll find that in 1 Samuel chapter 10. Not only did he began, begin to speak God's word, it says that God changed him into a different person on the inside, gave him a new heart, a heart made to hear and follow God's word so that he could lead the people wisely and well and to love the Lord their God with all their hearts and minds and souls and strength and to love their neighbors as they loved themselves. Saul received many blessings after that and knew that God was enabling him. But sadly, there came a time when he stopped being obedient to the Spirit of God. He started relying on his own strength. He got impatient with God's timing. Rather than waiting, he did things his way when it suited him. Rather than using the power and influence God gave him to bless and help others, he used it to satisfy his own desires. He became greedy, ignored God, and blamed and punished others for his mistakes. He became so full of himself that there was no longer room for the oil of the Spirit to fill his heart and mind. In 1 Samuel 26, which was toward the end of Saul's life, he came to a terrible realisation about the way he had wasted the opportunities that God had given him. Surely, he said, I have acted the fool and have erred greatly. Because of Saul's foolishness, God asked Samuel to once again fill his flask with oil and anoint a different person, David. As he poured the oil on David's head, the Spirit of God settled on David in power to activate and enable him. David went on to use the opportunities God gave him to do what Saul had failed to do. He actively and faithfully stepped into the calling God placed on his life. 
filled with God's power and daily renewed with the oil of God's spirit within him, David showed his people what is good and what God required of them. And you may remember or know the words from Micah, which he spoke to this. And those are what we, God wants of us, namely, is to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. And by the way, when Samuel went to pick, who, went find who God had chosen, he checked out David's brothers first, and they were oh, handsome, and they were tall, and they were. He was so impressed with what they looked like. Um, he thought that one of them had to be the right one. But God said to him, "No, no, 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 no. There's still one more to come." And here, once again, appearances can be deceiving because what God said to Samuel in chapter 16 is that the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that's what he saw in David. He saw a man whose heart longed for God and longed for God's people to know God. Each morning, Saul Saul and his army... Oh, sorry, I missed the line. There was one occasion when Saul led his army to fight the Philistine army, which wanted to take over the country of Israel at that time. And each morning, Saul and his army equipped themselves for a fight. They dressed themselves in armour and they put themselves in battle formation. They looked ready. But once again, appearances can be deceiving. And here's why. Because each morning, the Philistine army did the same thing. They got their armour on. They got into battle formation. But they did something extra. They sent out a giant of a man called Goliath to ridicule the Israelites and ridicule their God. He then challenged them to send out just one person to fight just him. And if that Israelite soldier won, well, then all the Philistines would leave them alone. They didn't think it was possible. Remember, Saul had received the Spirit of God in power. He had everything he needed to protect his people and take on the man who mocked God. God. But he stayed in his tent fearful. He was unready for what God needed him to do because he had stopped trusting God. He didn't have enough oil in reserve for a moment such as this. One morning, however, David came to the Israelite camp. He saw Goliath and heard his taunt. He saw that no one stepped in to stop it. Well, by now, David had also been anointed with oil. The Spirit of God had come on him in power too. The difference was that his heart remained passionately committed to serving God and his people. He had enough oil in his lamp to keep burning. He knew the skills and wisdom that he needed and trusting God was what was enough 
to face that giant and in the name of the living God overcome him, which he did. Both Saul and David had received oil for their lamps. If you have made a decision to follow Jesus, then you too have oil in your lamp. You received the Holy Spirit, and that is something very, very precious. But like Saul and David, we have a choice. We can choose, like Saul, to follow our own way. Saul left himself with insufficient oil to be ready, only to realise later how foolish he'd been. Or we can be like David, who faithfully worshipped the living God and continually kept his supply of oil full. Here's a question. I ask it of myself and I ask it of you too. Who am I most like when it comes to being ready for Jesus? God chose David because of the readiness of his heart to actively love and serve God. In Psalm 119, verse 105, David wrote about God's word being the lamp that gave light to his life, how it guided the way he lived It gave him wisdom. In the same way, God's word can be our lamp as we allow God's spirit to continually renew and fill us. We can be the light of the world as Jesus called us to be. According to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3, you become wise when you let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. The story of the ten maidens is meant to challenge us, to earn a reputation for living well in the eyes of God as well as in the eyes of people. Therefore, Proverbs 3 goes on, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Mother Teresa once said, We are called to be contemplatives in the heart of the world by seeking the face of God in everything, everyone, everywhere, all the time and his hand in every happening by seeing and adoring the presence of Jesus, especially in the lowly appearance of bread. When I think of bread, I think of Jesus' body broken for me and in the distressing disguise of the poor. Mother Teresa was talking about the kind of oil we need in our lamps, which leads me to ask some more questions of myself, and you may want to do the same. How prepared am I? Do I have the kind of oil that Mother Teresa was speaking about in my lamp? Am I using that oil in the world and spending time with God so that he can keep replenishing my reserve of oil? 
Am I ready to shine the light of life that Jesus gives me until he comes? I want to just move into a time of quiet reflection, only for a couple of minutes, and then I will finish with a little prayer. Father God, thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to help each one of us to be ready. Oh, Holy Spirit, may you fill us with the oil of joy of God's presence. And Jesus, thank you for your example. May we too love others because of our love for God and to keep your light burning brightly so that we can bless and help others. Amen.